Uh, we're going to read from Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Southside. Great to see you. Before I lead us in prayer, I wanted to make an announcement, a sad announcement. Uh, Saturday morning, Jolene Day, one of our members, went to be with the Lord. She had had a really rough last, gosh, at least eight months, setback after setback, and uh, was discouraged and uh, was ready. And so she is now in the presence of her king and feeling no pain. So uh, don't know the details of the service yet. It will be here at Southside probably Wednesday morning, but it's with Elliot Hamill. So if you're interested in coming, check Elliot Hamill and you'll find details there. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray for the family of Jolene, pray for our members, especially Nancy and Kayleen, Lord, that you would be with them even now, even this morning. Would your spirit be near and would they be encouraged while they grieve? Lord, may their grief be sweet for such a full life and for Jolene's strong faith. May they grieve with hope because we know this is the end of the story because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We pray that the service and, and all the events surrounding it would be an encouragement to the family and would honor you. And Lord, we just ask you to draw all those involved near to you. We're thankful for Jolene, thankful for her life, thankful for her faith. We've got to pray for our other senior citizens, many of whom can't be with us just yet, Lord, that you would encourage their faith even while they're home. God, we're thankful we've asked you to stop the coronavirus and we've prayed for a, a decrease and, and you've answered. We're thankful that Abilene hasn't seen a spike and we pray that that would just continue to be the case as we get back to life as normal. And God, we pray that your church would regather stronger than before. Pray that for Southside, Lord, as we get back together that you would not let us waste our pandemic, but that we would be repenting of sin and and you would be ridding your church of worldliness and that it would come back with a stronger commitment to truth and a stronger witness, even if it means smaller numbers. God, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would give us receptive hearts that we might be changed. By your spirit, through your word, would you conform us to the image of Jesus for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, all of us are imitators to certain degrees. Imitation is just a powerful reality in our world. And so in our family, that means we've had a lot of little toddler mini preachers because uh, what they've seen their daddy do. In fact, just last week, I was in the living room reading the word and our two-year-old comes out. And those of you with two-year-olds know that two-year-olds can't close doors quietly. So comes out, slams the door behind him. So now everybody's awake and he comes out and I'm sitting there. I'm just sitting there on my couch with my Bible open. And he sits down, tell him good morning. He sees what's going on. He assesses the situation. He gets up, runs to his room with 
His room, he doesn't have a room by himself. <laughs> Goes back in, all of a sudden I hear the door slam again, and he comes out and he's got his Bible. And so he just sits down beside me and opens his Bible. Obviously can't read. He's just imitating what he sees, right? We all do it in so many ways. I was struck recently by the fact that you could see these videos of how Kobe Bryant, who of course passed away five months ago, but doesn't that feel like five years ago in our timetable? But you could see how he had just studied Michael Jordan and imitated him so much that even the, the pivots and the footwork, I mean, he had imitated to learn. We all do it. We all do it. You, you come 40 years old and you start saying what? Man, I, this sounds like something my mom would say or I sound just like my father. It's a powerful force for good or for ill. Well, in this morning, we're going to see that we're called to imitate Jesus. And it's a proper response to grace. I want to keep reminding us that we're in Romans 12 to 16, which is built on and flows from Romans 1 to 11. Remember, Romans 1 to 11 is all about the gospel. It's all about grace. It's all about what God has done for us in Christ. And then our response comes in Romans 12 to 16. So everything we've been saying, it's been heavy on application, heavy on how we are to live. And we can never forget, though, it's all based upon the grace of God. And so as we're called to imitate Jesus, it's because we're already his children. In fact, Martin Luther summarizes really the whole book of Romans, maybe all of Christianity with this sentence. He says this, it's not imitation that makes sons. It is adoption that makes imitators. It's not our imitation that makes us children of God. It's the fact that we are children of God that now we're called to be imitators. Because of the grace of God, we're called to do this. So meet me in Romans 15 and let's see what we have. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is going to give us three commands, and then he's going to give us the basis for the command, and then he's going to kind of take a detour to talk about Scripture, and he's going to close with a final command. So first command is this. We are obligated to bear with the failings of the weak. Look there in verse 1 of Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And if you've been here the last couple, couple weeks, remember the strong and the weak. You had the strong in faith, those who knew that we didn't have to follow Jewish customs. They knew they were free from the law and they could eat whatever they wanted. Paul himself says, all things are clean. It's not, Jesus said, it's not what goes in. It's what comes out that makes you unclean, evil thoughts and that sort of thing. Those are the strong. Well, the weak were those that were caught up with, with some of the old ways, some of the old rules. Paul's one of the strong. He knows that. But what does he say? He says, we, the strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We owe it to them. He had already used this language of owe back in chapter 13, verse 8. Look across the page. He says, owe, same word for obligation, owe no one anything except to love each other. We owe love to the weak. We owe it to them. We owe it to bear with them. Paul had also used this verb for bear in another place. Galatians 6, 2. Same exact verb. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as we bear with one another, whether it be bearing burdens or the strong bearing with the weak, what we're doing is we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, what's that? What's the law of Christ? I don't think it's a list of rules. I think in short, we could say it's the law of love. And remember, we've seen again and again, what is love? Love is based on the cross. 1 John three sixteen. love, we know what love is through this. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to do the same. That's what the law of Christ is. It's the law of love, the law of giving of self for the good of another 
for the glory of God, giving up our rights and our privileges for the sake of someone else. And in this context, those who are weak. We'll say more about that here in a minute. And just notice how different this call is than the world, this ethic, right? In the church, those who are right and those who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak, the weaknesses of the weak. Well, what does the world say? Let's think about evolution. What's, what's the principle on which evolution is based? Natural selection. Strong eat the weak. Strong crush the weak. The weak are just a hindrance. They need to get out of the way of the strong. They're just slowing us down. Not in the community of Christ. Second, we're obligated to not to seek to please ourselves. Romans 15.1 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Christians are those who are freed from being enslaved to self. It's one of the reasons Jesus Christ came, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He came, he died for all so that those who live, that's us, might no longer live for themselves. Philippians 2, verse 3, we just read it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the call of the Christian is not to please ourselves, not living from selfish ambition, but counting others more significant, being for the other, others focused. And then third, he says we're obligated to please our neighbor. Look at verse 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Verse 2, let each of us... Please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We don't seek our good. We seek our neighbor's good. He'd already used the language of neighbor across the page as well. Look at 13 verse 9. There at the end, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. That's the great commandment, isn't it? Jesus being tested. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Well, it's actually twofold. Number one, love God with all that you are. There's a second that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Christians are those who please their neighbor. But it's not just people pleasing. It's for their good. It's to build them up. And what is the good in Romans? Anyone remember Romans chapter 8? God works all things, verse 28, to good, for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here it is, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what the good is. That's why we seek to please people is for their good, to build them up, to build up their faith, part of which is growing in their understanding. So last week, we're not, we don't, we've got consciences and they're really important. We should not violate our consciences and we should not violate the consciences of others, even if they're wrong, even if they're weaker. But we should educate our conscience. We should grow in doctrinal maturity. That's part of what it means to be built up. In fact, let me read from Ephesians 4 where it talks about what it means to be built up. Jesus gave gifts to his church. Part of that's leadership. And what's the goal of leadership? What are pastors for? Verse 12, to, they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. For building up, there's that, there's that term, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So part of us wanting to please our neighbor is to build them up in doctrinal maturity. In other words, we want the weak to eventually become strong. And when Paul's talking about the importance of pleasing his neighbor, he's not saying he's a people pleaser at all times. Remember what we're talking about here. Remember, Romans 14 and 15 is about secondary and tertiary matters, not primary issues. So it's not like the Apostle Paul would be like, well, you know, we just need to love We just need to please everybody. No, there are certain issues, again, in every book that he writes where he will put on the gloves. He tells us he's not about people-pleasing. Colossians 3.22 condemns people-pleasing. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says we've been entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. Galatians 1.10, am I now... Seeking the approval of man or of God, or I'm trying to please man. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So it's important Paul's not just not flaky. He's not compromising truth. And this teaching can be used that way. It often is today, especially with the hot button issue of our day with homosexuality. Well, we just need to be loving and accept them as they are. Well, Paul would put on the gloves. He does often. Or other, other primary issues. The exclusivity of Christ, the eternity of hell, the Trinity. He's not saying, well, we just want to please everybody. That's not what he's saying. But he's talking about secondary and tertiary matters in the church. We are to give of self to please our neighbor. And then he gives us the reason. What's the reason for bearing with the weak? What's the reason for not pleasing ourselves but pleasing others? It's in Romans 15, 3. Four, because... Christ did not please himself. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of the gospel. Because of the call to fulfill the law of Christ, to imitate him. That's what he did. He had every right and every freedom and every privilege. And how did he use it? He emptied himself of it for the good of other people. This pattern of having certain rights and privileges and freedom, but but not using them and giving them away for other people, it's all over the New Testament. I want you to see some of it. Look at Mark 10, 42. Jesus called called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, we're talking about pagan leaders, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. See, pagan leaders are all about themselves. What does Jesus say, though? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There it is. That's why he came. We ought to do the same. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Why are we to be kind? Why are we to forgive? That's what Jesus has done to us. We follow him. We imitate him. Therefore, be imitators of God 
as beloved children. That's so important. Notice it doesn't say be imitators of God so that you might become children of God. It says because you already are, right? Imitation doesn't make you sons. Adoption makes you imitators. And walk in love. Well, what do you mean? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, the cross informs our ethic. Same with marriage, right? What's the fundamental calling of a husband? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's all over the place. I keep mentioning this parallel passage in 1 Corinthians. It's dealing with a similar issue. Flip over there. So 1 Corinthians comes right after Romans. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul's dealing with food and freedom and strong and weak. And notice the pattern of having rights but giving them up for the sake of others. Look at 1 Corinthians 8. 8. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. And then in chapter 9, Paul talks about all these rights that he has to be an apostle, to, to have a wife. And he says, but I haven't made use of these rights. And then look at chapter 9, verse 19. He says, though I'm free from all, there's that right. Paul's free. Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Notice the pattern of Christ here. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. So if Paul was in a synagogue, he just adopted the practices. He was happy to become a Jew. It's funny, he's no longer a Jew now that he's a Christian, but he can become a Jew. Why? To see some saved. Verse 21. To those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. So he can adopt Gentile customs in order that they may be saved. He says, not being outside the law of God, but here it is, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He has these rights and privileges and freedom, and he's happy to give them away rather than to use them. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's exactly what he's saying in Romans 15. This is the principle. This is love, according to the Bible. This is the law of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what we're called to. Galatians 5, 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Give up your freedom. It's not about you. It's about others. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians 2, 2 to 5, we've already seen. He tells them to have the same mindset among you. What is that mindset? It's the mindset of not doing anything from selfishness, but not considering only us, but putting others first. In Philippians 2, 5, he says, that's the mind of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
He had every right to do anything he wanted. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself, became a man, took the form of a servant. Why? So that we might be saved. It's the law of Christ. We serve others, and it applies to all kinds of relationships. Just think how the areas you come into would flourish if you came in with the mindset of Jesus Christ. I am here not so that I might build myself up, that I might make those around me better. It applies to everything which is why we've seen it with food offered to idols, strong in the weak, with Jewish customs, with marriage, even with generosity, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Listen to the way Luther sums all this up quite nicely. Although the Christian is thus free from all works, he ought in this liberty to empty himself, take upon himself the form of a servant, be made in the likeness of men, be found in human form, and to serve, help, and in every way deal with his neighbor as he sees that God through Christ has dealt and still deals with him. This he should do freely having regard for nothing but divine approval. I will therefore give myself as a Christ to my neighbor. Just as Christ offered himself to me, I will do nothing in this life except what I see is necessary, profitable, and salutatory to my neighbor, since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. So the question is, is are we embodying this pattern, this law, this posture of love? Are we seeking to please ourselves, or are we seeking to please our neighbor? And again, the context here is the church, the local church. To do so requires a couple things. One, it requires relationships. We got to know each other. We got to be doing life together for us to be able to give of self for the good of others. And second, it will require sacrifice. We will have to give of self. And it can look a whole host of ways. Maybe you give some time and, and some money and you have someone over for dinner or you take them out to lunch or, or coffee. Maybe you give up some sleep, you sacrifice some sleep so that you can get here early and stay late, especially as we open up. We're actually going to come back whenever we do here in a couple of weeks, come back and change our services to foster a culture of come early, stay late. Previous schedule just made it hard to do between Bible study and, and service. So we'll have Bible study from 9, hard stop at 1015. Some of you got to get kids and whatnot. Get over here early, and then we'll have this service at 1045. We'll end a little early so you can hang out before the lunch crowd. So give up some time and get here early and come with an aim to build up one another's faith. Maybe it's sacrificing an hour a week to come serve in the church in some way. Let us know. We'll get you plugged in. Maybe it's forming a D group, taking some other members through a book or reading scripture together. Are you giving of self for the good of others? So it gives us the reason in verse 3, Jesus... And then he quotes scripture, and then he talks about scripture. Look at Romans 15, 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
So Paul takes a little detour. He's talking about our relationships in the church, but he takes a little detour and talks about scripture and says it does two things. It, it instructs us and it gives us hope. And notice he actually says four things about it here. First, it instructs the people of God. It instructs us. He says it was written for our instruction. And he's quoting the Old Testament. It's for us. It's been written, it's not to us, but it's for us. And he says, whatever was written, this whole thing is for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction, for training in righteousness. And friends, maybe more than ever, the people of God need to be instructed by the word of God. We have a lot of biblical illiteracy today and we want to fight against it. Knowing this word, being instructed by it, and it teaches us about all things. It teaches us about our world. It teaches about us. It teaches about our family. It teaches us about our marriage. It teaches us about our finances. It teaches us about sexuality. Just this week, I was reading the Song of Songs. When's the last time you read that book? I'm so glad that book made the canon of Scripture. <laughs> Just to show the glory of sexuality is God's good gift in the context of marriage. All things, and it speaks truth. I just read from Ephesians 4 a minute ago, and we saw that one of the goals is that we would attain to the unity of the faith. What's he talking about there? He's not talking about our faith. He's talking about the faith, the body of doctrine that's been handed down to the church that Jude says has been delivered once for all to the saints. And the knowledge of the Son of God growing in that. So why? So that we're not just blown around tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And isn't culture just blowing all kinds of winds of doctrine and teaching? The people of God ought to stand secure, unified, mature, because we've been instructed by the word of God. Second, it says this scripture produces endurance and encouragement. The scripture produces endurance. And we all, friends, need endurance. But I could ask every one of you, hey, do you know someone who started following Jesus? Maybe they were raised in the church, maybe in, in college they became a Christian who are no longer following Jesus. Right now, probably every one of you has at least one person that comes to mind. I feel like every year I age, more and more people that I knew, maybe one time were very zealous about the things of God that have now fallen away. Do you know the, I can guarantee you where it started? Falling away in apostasy usually is months long, years long, but it starts with small steps, small compromises. I can guarantee you, Every one of them started with one thing. They stopped engaging the word of God. Because one of the means God has given us is the scripture that produces endurance. It helps us persevere. It shows us the goodness of Christ. Fuels our faith. Helps us continue to trust in Christ and his promises to fight sin, to maintain a hatred of the world that produces perseverance, but also just encouragement. Are you discouraged this morning? How's your time in the word? One of the means God has given us for endurance and for encouragement is the scripture. And then third, it says it produces hope. And remember hope, biblical hope is way different than worldly hope. It's not mere wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation based on the promises of God. Hope in the Bible is faith-fueled expectation that what God promises, he will do. And so as we read this word, God strengthens our hope in his goodness, in his faithfulness. And then fourth, it points us to Jesus, which is why he quotes Psalm 69. For it is written, 
Messianic psalm, all of scripture points to Jesus. We'll see more of that next week. And then Paul prays for the church. Look at verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He just said scripture produces endurance and encouragement. And now he refers to God as the God of endurance and encouragement. Why is that? How does God give endurance and encouragement? Through his word. That's how God works. God has promised to bless his word, which is why we're about this book so heavily here at Southside. It's the only means God has promised to bless and use. It's the way he's arranged his world. And he prays that we would live in harmony. It's actually not the greatest translation. It's a phrase that we've talked about before because Paul uses it a lot. It's a, a little four-word phrase, and it's thinking the same way or having the same mindset. ESV kind of paraphrases it to say, live in harmony. We saw it back in Romans 12. You remember that? Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. There it is. Have the same mindset as one another that he uses several places. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this. Finally, brothers, rejoice Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Here it is. Agree with one another. Have the same mindsets. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. We saw it in Philippians 2 too. Have the same mindset. What's the mindset? Putting others first. It's the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. That though he had every right, he gave it up for our good. And then in Philippians chapter 4, there were these couple ladies. Some type of conflict in the church. We don't know what it is. And he exhorts. Euodia and Syntyche to have the same mindset. It was a really important idea to Paul that we, the church, have the same mindset. And what is the mindset? It's the mindset that's centered on Christ Jesus. That's why he says here in our verse, in accord with Christ. It's the people of God sharing a common perspective, a common purpose, a common mission, and a common goal. And what is the goal of a community unified around Jesus Christ? Verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is a people of praise centered on the Lord. Together with one voice we might glorify God. And he says voice, so clearly he, he's referring to singing. We should sing loud together. Praising God for the redemption of Jesus Christ. But not just our singing. It's praise in all of life, right? It's what we do at Southside, one of our core values. We worship Jesus in all of life. A unified community saved by the blood of Christ, committed to living for the glory of God in all things. That's the goal here. And then he closes with a concluding command in verse 7. Therefore, because everything he said from chapter 14, verse 1 to now, therefore... Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's exactly where he started, right? Look at 14.1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 3, there at the end, welcome. Why? For God has welcomed him. Back to the gospel. We treat each other the way God has treated us. Man, what a game changer. At Southside, we want to be passionately committed to the essentials, willing to go to battle with the world over the essentials. But the rest, 
the disputable matters, the things we've talked about, our opinions, we care about them, we talk about them, we have conviction about them, we even have verses, but we disagree with love and humility and charity. We don't divide over them. Passionately committed to the core, but beyond that, man, we want to have a diverse congregation of premillennialists and all millennialists and Calvinists and Arminians and public schoolers and homeschoolers and teetotalers and those who drink in moderation and meat eaters and vegans and vaccinators and anti-vaxxers and pro-Trumpers and never-Trumpers, all together committed to living for the glory of God. And we can do it. As I watch the news, you know, maybe y'all have said this in your generation, previous generations, it seems like we are as divided as ever. And just to be honest with you, I'm pessimistic about a solution. I actually think it's only going to get worse out there. It kind of stinks for our kids and grandkids, doesn't it? Because long-term solutions will not come without regeneration. But for the church, I'm gladly optimistic. We can do this. We have the power of the spirits. We have the gospel. We have the word. The church is a colony of the kingdom. We know what the future entails. We've actually been sent there. We have the spirit. We have the, the down payment of what's coming. And so we are an outpost of the kingdom. Showing the world what it's going to be like. And Romans 12 to 15 lays out the kind of community we are to be. A preview. We know where we're headed and we're to live in light of it now. So we're not here Sunday only Christians. Kind of hope those just stay put as we regather. We want all of life Christians. We don't want people who treat church as a hobby. We're those who've been saved by the grace of God and therefore respond to his mercy, Romans 12, 1, by presenting our whole selves to God, committed to all of life transformation by the renewal of our minds. Those who do not, Romans 12, 3, think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're one body, many members, Characterized by genuine love, a hatred of evil, holding fast to the good, showing honor to others, not slothful in zeal, but zealously serving the Lord, repaying no one evil for evil, seeking to live peaceably with all, loving our enemies, being subject to the government so long as the government doesn't ask us to dishonor our Lord, owing no one anything but love. Hating sin, turning from the darkness to the light, not judging or despising each other over secondary matters, but bearing with one another, giving of self to build one another up, welcoming one another just as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word and its clarity. Thank you for the gospel that all of these exhortations and commands come from and is built upon. Thank you for an ethic that is so grounded in the gospel that we are to be to one another as you have been to us. And so that shows us that when we're not living according to this vision of the community of your son, that it means we don't get the gospel in our heart and in our heads. And so may we continually be gripped by Jesus and may it affect everything. May we be those passionately committed to your truth and on those primary matters willing to go to war over them but on secondary matters maybe be people that are convictional yet kind able to disagree in love and have good strong conversations and hug each other when it's over continue to build in Southside Baptist Church a gospel-centered community founded upon your grace seeking to imitate 
our Lord and all we do for our good, for our joy, for our peace, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.